my calculations are correct. When this baby hits 88 miles per hour, you're gonna see some serious shit. Don't need money, don't take fame, don't need no credit card to ride this train. <laughs> this is Illuminates, the podcast that each week looks back on one of the flying DeLoreans of 1980s film and television, subjects it to 1.21 gigawatts of careful re-examination, and determines if lightning could indeed strike twice. This is Kelly, I'm your Density Powers. And I'm Brent Phillips. Oh no, we could do better than that. I'm thinking... Um, well, you should have said you're Kelly know. the Irish Bug Powers, and then I could have See, said I didn't I want to leave density. with that. <laughs> How about uh, Brent, make like a tree, get out of here, Phillips. <laughs> get the hell out. Uh, welcome, folks. Um, if you haven't guessed by now, this time we're going to be taking a look at 1985's Back to the Future. Um. Brent, this was this was your pull. It was. Why Back to the Future? I know why I would love to talk about Back to the Future. What do you love about Back to the Future? So, it's funny. It's one of those rare movies. There's only a few like this, I think, but that, you know, this is right in the crux of when I was a when I was a kid. And so I watched this movie like we had it recorded on a VHS. So I watched it hundreds of times. Yeah. And then, you know, 20 years later, I was like, oh, yeah, I remember watching that movie. And I'd been let down many times before, but I remember watching this again and really liking it. Um, and so now, 30 years later, <laughs> you know, we watched it and um, it's still amazing. I think it gets better every time. This is one of those movies that I, I couldn't tell you how many times I've seen it because I've seen it just a ton of times. Yeah. I mean, I, I've just seen it all the time, so I never stopped watching Back to the Future, basically. Just on and off since it came out. I do remember that when this movie came out, my sister um, was really insistent that I see this movie. She said, you, you'll love this movie so much. And she was right. I, yeah. I absolutely did. But uh, Sounds like a smart lady. She is. She is. Um, it's, I think this is one of those... I mean, this is one of those movies that is just, it really captures the the essence of, of a 1980s adventure film, yeah. I think. Like this, and maybe E.T., and I don't know, a handful of others really kind of, they're tentpoles. I mean, we'll see after we've done this podcast for a while, but yeah. to me, this is hands down the best 1980s movie. Yeah, um... Uh, in prep for the podcast on Back to the Future, we watched it again, and and uh, Brett and I watched it with a couple other people this time, and uh, all of us were just really entertained and all really in agreement that everyone in this film is really doing a fantastic job. Like, the small parts, the leads, everybody is just really firing on all cylinders, um, with the possible exception of the actress playing the role of uh, Jennifer, Marty's girlfriend, who is pretty much asleep. But it's a small role. <laughs> I I don't know. Well, you know, this might be an unpopular opinion, but um, 
I'm not actually super taken away by uh, Michael J. Fox. In general. In or in this movie. or in general. Oh, really? You know, it's funny, you know, they you've heard this thing that they originally did this with Eric Stoltz. Right. And then, I don't remember the reasoning, maybe he can't act or whatever, but they, they replaced him, like, after they kind of already shot, like, a decent... Yeah, I don't remember what that was either, but it it was something fairly. And it's funny because I remember seeing Eric. There are there is still some footage of Eric Stoltz right. doing it, and like he does it pretty well. And I think he does a better job of being cool. Like Michael J. F- like Marty McFly is supposed to be like cool and hot headed. Yeah, kind of the opposite of his dad. Yeah, but Michael J. Fox is so diminutive that like. I don't know. It's just weird that he comes off as so like super cool. I don't. I don't know. Maybe that's not fair. Um, to short people in general, I guess. <laughs> but like, um, I don't know. It, you better it, watch what you say there, pal. Well, it's not like about short people. It's about like it's an it's an interesting choice because I don't think he brought anything super unique to the plate. I think otherwise, not like I think his comedic timing. Is superior to Eric Stoltz's comedic timing. That's very possible. I'm not trying to compare. I'm sorry. I'm not saying Eric Stoltz should have done this. I'm saying I'm surprised that he's what they went with. What I love is that there's a parallel universe out there where Eric Stoltz was the star of Back to the Future. Oh, yeah. Because you could totally see it like on an episode of, I don't know, Fringe or whatever, where they go to the parallel universe and Back to the Future is playing, but it says on the marquee, starring Eric Stoltz instead. Did you ever play the Bioshock games? I have not. In one of those, they open a portal to a different universe, and there's a marquee that says Eric Stoltz. Well, there Future. you have it. <laughs> also, Eric Stoltz got his chance to to uh, act alongside um, Leah Thompson in, um, what was it? Uh, what's that? Oh, it's another great 80s movie that he did, which, <laughs> uh, not say anything, it was um, some kind of wonderful. Oh, okay. So, I don't know. At least they got their chance to pair up. Um, yeah, I, I, I don't know. I think, I think Back to the Future um, is one of those so ingrained in us for the, for the decade of the 1980s that it uh, lends itself well to whenever you're talking about that decade, mm-hmm. um, especially with when you're looking back in terms of nostalgia. I mean, just look at what the film... And uh, novel Ready Player One. Look how much. So much of it. Borrows. I mean, the commercials yeah. you see for Ready Player One, and at the time of this podcast, they even do the right at the time of this podcast. That movie is just about to come out. It hasn't come out. It'll be out like next week. Um, but I mean, they're they're hammering home the DeLorean and all those scenes. And, yeah. And you're right with the little tinkling guitar, uh, yeah. uh, piano riff. I love that little tinkling piano riff too. Oh, was it great? Was it uh, John Williams who did who did Back to the Future's uh, score? I think it might have been. I didn't look it up. We could have the boys in the lab take a look. Yeah. Hey, boys in the lab. Uh... They'll take a look. Um, yeah, I, 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 I don't, I don't know where they put this in. Um... Our boys in the lab love looking on IMDb. Yeah, but our boys in the lab are like stupid and don't know how to use IMDb. Well, don't sweat it. It's lovely. Lovely music. Um, let's, uh, we don't, I mean, we don't have to break down every scene for this one because this is one that is well known. Um, but I'm eager to get 
to the other side of this where we can discuss uh, how you might go about doing Back to the Future again. Yeah. Because I have some thoughts on that. Um, I'm sure you do as well. Well, I do have some some notes. Excellent. Uh, I don't have anywhere near as many notes as I do on everything else we do because I was just... Like, halfway through, I was just like, this is amazing. I'm just, just going to sit down and enjoy this, this, this fucking movie. It's Absolutely. so good. Um, one of the things I thought was really good was um, you see all the people from 1955 in old person makeup first before you see them as young people. That's and true. I think that's a really, really smart choice. I mean, maybe it was just serendipity with the script, but like... Whenever, you know, you have, like, an episode of Star Trek where someone's like, oh, you meet their 50-year-old fr- from now version, it yeah. always looks retarded. But since you hadn't seen the young version of them yet, like, Leah Thompson as the mom, when she, she didn't look like fake later. or anything. She just looked like, I don't know, she, you could tell she was in some makeup, but you didn't know what she actually looked like. Yeah. So when you finally see her, and you're like, oh, shit, she actually is really hot. <laughs> Like, she does. Uh, so so you see her for the first time the same time Marty does, and like you, I don't know, they did just a really good job of you getting that yeah. the same effect as him, and uh, that just worked. Really and that well. makeup too, the the they did the makeup on Lorraine, which is Leah Thompson's character, and right. they did the makeup on George, uh, which was Crispin Glover, and you see them both later on. It's funny you can look them up now; they still don't look that old. <laughs> no, they don't. And so she's she. I think the that's just how aging works. But I fun. think the aging looked markedly different for her character than it did for his character. Like well, Lorraine he was more or less the same weight right, she had put on. Right, Lorraine looks like now. a totally different person when we first yeah. meet her in in nineteen eighty five. Um, and and he does not look all that different at all. I mean, he looks a, he is grayer and wrinklier a little, but. Not a lot. Well, it actually fits because he needed to be able to recognize his dad. He needed to be able to recognize his mom, too. Well, yeah, I guess. But it was like her voice that he recognized before That's he recognized true. her. Like, he didn't have to pick her out of a crowd. Like and I love, I love, um, I mean, I love when, when they do that scene where he wakes up in uh, in her bedroom and she says, well, you're safe and sound here in 1955. And, by the way, feel free to incorporate any of the part two or part three moments that harken back because they're all tied together pretty yeah. well these three movies. Well, but I love, how, I love how that carries through to every single Back to the Future movie yeah. where there's always that scene where he gets knocked in the head or knocked out in some way and he wakes up and some version of Lorraine, whether it's her <laughs> ancestor or her, whoever it is, is telling him he's safe and sound back in fill in the blank wherever he's landed now. Yeah, we'll just briefly touch on this, but... Um... I think Back to the Future Part 2, while it's not a great standalone movie, it is. if you watch this like as a double feature, it is a fantastic sequel. Mm-hmm. Like, if, you, if Back to the Future 1 is fresh in your memory when you watch 2, like, so many things are done so well. Like, all those little moments that, like, kind of stuck with you are also in Part 2. It's just, like, in the background or from a different angle and stuff. They did such a good I job would, of recreating stuff. I would agree with you that it is a fantastic sequel, but I wouldn't... Let me put it this way. I think the back half of that movie is a fantastic sequel. Okay, that's fair. Once they get their mission to go back again to 1955... And back to the past, yeah. That's when it gets great. Up until that point when you're, when you're doing uh, the trip to the future... 
and everything is just super cheesy, hokey future. <laughs> it's so over the top that it's I'm just funny like, as a kid, like the the sneakers that auto laced. I was like, oh my god, those were cool. And of course, it's fun to watch the car fly around because you want to watch a car fly around. But yeah. Aside from that, everything is just these garish day glow colors, and and it's just like this is the future, really. Everyone's wearing these god awful clothes. I mean, the fashions they had two ties around their neck instead of one and ah oh, come on it's just i hated that but then once you do that whole uh, it's a wonderful life part of the movie where george mcfly died and hill valley became like this awful you know den of sin and an equity yeah. and everything that's turned fantastic. into like like terrible vegas yes yes <laughs> yeah there's like there's like people shooting each other in the streets, and it's just complete anarchy. Like just because, out. yeah, just because George McFly wasn't there. <laughs> <laughs> to be fair, I'm sure George McFly had anything to do with it. it was he was just he, he Biff touched, was rich. He touched so many lives. Yeah, um, but boy, we're getting ahead of ourselves. Um, I have some questions about the opening of this movie because there's something that I didn't really understand. Well, when the credits are rolling, it's all in Doc's. Um, uh, Doc's garage, right? And you see all those clocks all over the place yeah. ticking along. And, and Marty comes in on his way to school and is trying to find Doc and Einstein. It blows up the amp. Right. But he, he sees all these clocks and the, the camera's panning around and you see this, it looked to me like a drawing of a guy hanging from a clock face exactly the same way that oh, Doc I know, was, right? was going to hang on the clock face at the end of the movie. And I'm like... Why is why is that in there? I mean, what what was the hope there? In all the times that I've seen this, we only noticed it this time. But we've already established that, like, that's just got to be random chance. This is not a. If you want to get into like how time travel movies sure. work, this is an alternate time travel. I mean, alternate timeline time travel movie. Right. He once he leaves his 1985, he never goes back, and he can't. Right. And it's not as though they found a picture that someone took of him dangling from. He, the they clock can't. Tower. It hadn't happened yet. That's true. That's true. It just makes no sense. I'm it not was, sure. It was a very odd choice, and I don't know if like some set designer like left some key art in the <laughs> well, that's shot what I, or what. That's what I mean. It's strange because what are we meant to take from that? It means nothing to an audience watching the movie for the first time because at this point in the film, but right, you don't know anything a, about that scene. But it's not even a good wink to people that do know the movie because it doesn't actually fit with the way the time travel works. And why would Doc be drawing that anyway? It's weird. It's I'm just not sure what we're meant to take from that. But I'm glad I'm not the only one confused by that. No, I, I'm not sure what that's about. Yeah. I almost think like it just flew out of someone's folder and then someone was like, oh, this should be in the shot. And Maybe it it's like that scene in, remember remember the urban legend around that scene in Three Men and a Baby? With oh, the, the like ghost or somebody out of the ghost to be like hung or something? Behind the windows? Remember. He died on the set. <laughs> or wasn't there like in Wizard of Oz, one of the munchkins supposedly hung themselves from the rafters in the background of one something. scene or something? I, I don't think either of those actually took place. No, but I remember those true. being a big deal. It's all true. It all happened. You're, that's right. I'm sorry. Oh, it was like as a ghost. It was like Patrick Swayze. It was like a cutout of him from Ghost, but everyone misinterpreted it as an actual ghost on the set. I don't know. It was very weird. Uh, I also, when that camera's panning around the lab, and I, I got, I got to thinking, Doc's got all these automated things set up for, basically for getting his breakfast ready and getting Einstein's breakfast ready. Yeah. In the lab. But none of them really work well. And it just like dumps Einie's food in a mess on the floor. Because he didn't turn them off. You see the coffee pots just... And I'm like, yeah, okay, fine, fair enough. He hadn't been there for a week. But 
It just looked like really shot. Like it looked like Goonies. That's type. the thing. He's not a good inventor. But he's the guy who cracks time travel. Hey, he just even, stumbled upon it. Even man. a broken clock's right twice a day. I mean, kinda. I mean, I don't know. That's not as crazy to me. Not only did he crack time travel, but we've okay. So looking ahead in the, the trilogy, we've gone to the far distant future. No one else ever cracks time travel. At least not for the next thirty years. Alright, so it's just him. You have a decent point there. I just Once any scientist was aware that time travel actually was possible, they should have been able to reverse engineer it, especially in the future. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, that's fine. I just... Uh, well, of course, as we'll you know find what, out I think later, that might be an interesting avenue for a reboot, though. Somebody stealing the technology? Or, or just someone else figuring it out and then getting... crossing paths? Uh, yeah. That's true. Yeah, that, that, that's a good note. Um, uh, oh, and the other question. So, I mean, we never get into this, really, but you get the feeling that... Do you get the feeling that they're friends, Marty and Doc? Or is yeah. Marty... Okay, I know they're friends, but are, is, is does Marty work for Doc? Like, is that his part-time job, is helping Doc around? Whether or not he got paid, I don't know. I kind of think so, probably. Or did he just get paid Some sort of nominal fee. He got paid an amp usage time. He could go use the gigantic amp. Well, Doc had money. But he blew his family fortune over the last 30 years. Right, but he had enough money to, like, pay a high school kid to hang out and be his assistant. Right. Sure. Yeah. I mean, like, what is he going to make in, like, eight bucks an hour? And max... And get some plutonium from terrorists. I mean, he had to pay something for that. He stole it. Right. (laughs) He didn't pay for that. He told them he was going to make a bomb. He gave them a box full of used pinball parts. That's right. (laughs) Um, And it's great because when Marty leaves that lab and you see that um, the garage is just next to a Burger King. I've been to that Burger King. Oh, yeah? That's like here in the valley. And uh, Amy and I went there purposely one day to just, to just say, this is the Burger You'd seen King. It? That's awesome. Um, the house is gone, but the Burger King is still there. The house That's with the matters. garage. Yeah. Um, yeah. Um, and, and when Marty gets to school, um, you know, they're sneaking around. Jennifer tries to help sneak him in because it's going to be late again. Strickland is there. Jumps on him, and there's Principal Strickland. Play it again, McFly. And all I thought seeing Strickland this time around was the barely contained rage in this man's eyes. Like, how badly does this educator want to beat a child? Right? He just, he, when he he grabs McFly, and he's like, you're a slacker, McFly. And he's like shoving that paper right up his nose. And and he's like barely contained. His face turns purple, yelling at Marty. And he's like barely holding his his fist back, and I'm like, "Check yourself, man!" It's funny because, like, you know, there are teachers like that. There are I'm people sure, that yeah. should not be educators and are terrible people. And it's like, why is this in the movie? Yeah, I I don't know. And I mean, it's interesting because he looks more or less the same as he did in 1955, and like, it's another callback for him. But like, him being like a super hard ass, like. What does that lend? It, it, n- nothing, as far as I know, but but you know, it's a really just... You're right, he's so far off the rails as far as, like, he's not strict. <laughs> he's, he's a rageaholic. He's not only strict, he's so strict his name is Strickland. Strickland. Yeah. It's like having a guidance counselor named, like, Sympathetikowski. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> or Coach Overcompensating. Or, you know, um, he's Irish, Coach Overcompensating. Um, actually, speaking of coaches... When we go back to 1955, Strickland is 
uh, Coach Strickland in the hallways giving somebody a, a problem, right? He's a, he's a, he's like the gym I coach. I thought he was still the principal. No, he was like the, he was Coach Strickland, I think. Oh, which, I didn't catch that. Which shows you that he at least progressed as an educator over those 30 years and rose up to yeah. run the whole school, which is great. I guess. I guess. Kicked a lot of students' Failed ass up. to get here, I suppose. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And then, for some reason, back in nineteen or uh, 1855, was it in part three they go to? 18, 1885 or something like that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, he's Marshall Strickland. That's right. Also, a, a giant rage problem. But at least he's a good guy in that film, and he's fighting <laughs> Mad Dog Tanner. Um, I love that actor, too. Uh, I think his name is James Tolkien. Yeah. A- and the only other thing I remember him from is, did you ever see Masters of the Universe? The movie Masters of the Universe? The one with the trans-dimensional keytar? Oh, yes. Oh, okay, Courtney, that one. Courtney Cox and... Uh, <clears throat> um, he was in that movie as, again, rageaholic cop who ends up <coughs> basically helping them out and becoming like a warrior on Etonia by the end of the movie. Apparently he was in War Games as well. Oh, he, he was probably, yeah, he was probably in that control room somewhere. Oh man, is War Games an 80? It is. Oh yes. We might get some War Games. Oh, War Games piece. is not best, but yeah. I love that guy. He he plays barely controlled rage very well. <laughs> you know, this is a theory I've long held, is that a significant portion of actors don't act. They just are themselves and say lines, and it's really right. up to casting to find the right person to do that. Which is why typecasting exists. And I'm a little worried that this guy is just really angry. It's possible. <laughs> like, but you know what? Carrying that, that forward, haven't we seen Michael J. Fox play Marty McFly many times besides Yeah, Marty he's just Marty McFly. Teen Wolf is basically Marty McFly, but he's a werewolf. Yeah. And uh, Ferris Bueller... Clearly was just boy. He was <laughs> Philippe Gaston. <laughs> he was just Philippe Gaston just for the modern the same day. Fucking guy, man. Yeah. Um, all you Illuminators who are with us for episode two, Lady Hawk, you know what we're talking about. Um, and so uh, we'll move along to uh, the the tryout for the Battle of the Bands with Marty's sick band, the Pinheads, <laughs> which I gotta say they sounded awful. Oh, yeah. I think they were supposed to be. Which is what, well, it's funny because his girlfriend's like, oh, man, you should really send your tape into the radio station. And I'm like, dude, maybe you should practice a little more first. I know I said the actress playing Jennifer doesn't really act, but she was acting there when she was telling Marty how good he was. Because that took some real chops. Well, it's funny because the, it's not, we're not wrong in our interpretation because the movie also lets us know that he kind of sucks when he's on it, when he's not playing someone else's music, like in the end, when he plays the song, he does great until he goes off on his own, and everyone's like, hey, What are you doing? But even at the Battle of the Bands tryout, he was playing someone else's music, he was playing Power of Love by Huey Lewis. Okay, Huey but I think Lewis. he was supposed to have. Was he supposed to have written it though? No, no, I'm sure they were just jamming, whatever. <laughs> and I love that Huey Lewis is one of the judges trying, yeah. <laughs> and he's the guy who stands up and goes, I'm sorry, fellas, you're just, just too damn loud. I guarantee you that, like, that's the cameo, like, 1% of viewers <laughs> ever got. Well, Huey Lewis, uh, he went on to be in a movie with um, Gwyneth Paltrow, uh, much later on, where he's singing duets with her. I think it was, I forget, it might have been called duets. 
Wow, that is that is news to me, man. Yeah. Oh, it's uh, I've seen that movie. Um, yeah, but Marty sucks as a band member. He's always showboating too. He's like even he does this later. Oh, on. he never learns that. Yeah, he, he you can't hear the drummer or the other the guy on the guitar because Marty's just cranked way louder than anybody, and he's just all over the place. Um, so Huey do- Huey Lewis was right to shut him down. Um, and then after that, with with. Jennifer and Marty hanging out waiting for Jennifer's dad to pick her up pick her up. They're talking about the upcoming trip to the lake, the big trip to the lake, and Jennifer seems genuinely nervous asking Marty, "Does your mom know about this weekend how we're going off to the lake to make out?" Yeah, it's like why would you tell her? Because well, I mean, I always told my mom when I was going to go make out with I <laughs> I would come home and say like she'd be like how to go and I'd be like it was all right. Third base, yeah. mom. <laughs> It seemed really weird that she was... It's like, just just over the clothes stuff, Mom. Sorry. <laughs> oh. it, I, I mean, I see what they were going for, but it's funny because the rest of the dialogue in this movie is so fucking good. And then, like, that little situation is so weird. It just needed, like, a little bit more work. But did Jennifer think, like... Because you said, I see what they're going for. I'm not sure I understand what they were going for. Having They heard. were trying to set up the fact that he doesn't have a good relationship with his parents. I thought he's maybe, not open with them at all. His mom is very judgy of Jennifer. That's what I was wondering. Does she? Well, we know that she does not like her very much. She says right. She just her. flat out says it later, which is why I don't even think this whole thing was necessary. You're right. She's like that. Jennifer calls boys. She's too fast. Oh. Yeah. Like I would never do that. And then she's a total whore in, <laughs> in the sitting in a parked car with a boy. <laughs> How dare she? Um. Yeah. That. That's. Just strange that she she really wanted her mom's his mom's blessing for them to go off for the weekend at the lake and make out. Okay, yeah, have fun, kids. Um, Maybe she just wanted them out. The the scene with uh, back at the house with Biff who who trashed George McFly's car, got into some sort of accident when he borrowed, he borrowed his car, car. And got it destroyed, and and then he's yelling at George. There's a blind spot. I could have been killed. Who's going to pay for this cleaning bill on my tie? Oh, because he spilled his beer yeah. on himself? while he was driving, yeah. drinking. Uh, and he, he's he got no problem belittling George in front of his family at their home. Yeah. But what always gets me, and I think it's just, it really shows a tender side of Biff, is that he <laughs> takes a moment to say, you got the place fixed up real nice here, McFly. <laughs> <laughs> After he spends... 15 minutes just chewing him out, calling his son a butthead. What are you looking at, butthead? <laughs> Say hi to your mom for me. <laughs> but then he's, he goes to get a beer out of the fridge. He's like, yeah, but you got the place looking pretty nice here, McFly. He's not all bad, Biff. He's pretty close to all bad. He's pretty close to all bad. There was a revolu- revelation about Biff towards the end of the movie that I'll get back to um, that you pointed out and it never occurred to, to me before, which is that... <laughs> Biff, at the end of the movie, ends up being sort of their family retainer. Like, he's washing their cars. and Yeah. But this is the guy who attempted, attempted to rape their mom. In high school. So why not employ him later on? Yay! Bygones. It's the 80s, man. Bygones. It's hey, really you remember weird. that time the guy that washes our car tried to rape mom? That yeah. was sweet. It never, it never thought of it in those terms. But then you said it, and I'm like, ugh. God, that's creepy as hell. Very. Oh, well. Um, I also want to take a moment to to look at Marty's brother and sister. 
because apart from being part of a picture that starts fading away mm-hmm. when Marty's back in time to signif- signify that time is becoming unraveled and he's going to be erased, I don't see them serving any purpose in this movie. They could have found a picture of literally anything from 1985 that starts fading away because... Well, it was, an, it was another thing that showed the change when he comes back. It's because his brother and sister had their shit together. I guess so. Because they had better parents kind of stuff. The brother, I, I, I recognize the sister too um, from something. I can't, remember, I can't remember what she's from. But the brother uh, is Jimmy Olsen from Superman the yeah. movie. And Superman 2. And Supergirl. <laughs> I don't think he was in Superman 3 and 4. But uh, uh, Mark McClure. I'm actor Mark McClure. <laughs> You might remember me from Superman. Superman, <laughs> Superman 2. Um, yeah, Jimmy Olsen. It was weird seeing him there. I was like, holy crap, that's Jimmy. Um, and then I have to ask, they at the house, they uh, they have a birthday cake. Or not a birthday, a, a, a welcome home, get out of jail, welcome out of jail Uncle Joey cake that gets oh, thrown yeah, in the yeah. trash because Uncle Joey didn't make bail again. Didn't make parole. Didn't make parole again, right, sorry. Um what is the purpose of Uncle Jailbird Joey? That's the thing. There's kind of a lot of just little tidbits that they like to. They wanted in 1985, so they could go back to in the 50s. Because like he has that little joke about Joey liking being behind better, the better bars get used of the crib. To the bars. And it's like it's kind I of remember, a weird dig to make on a baby, right? And like, I remember thinking, <laughs> how much do you hate this uncle of yours? You're like, you're going to be incarcerated most of your life, asshole. And it's like, we don't know what his crimes are or anything or why he keeps getting passed up for parole. Like, maybe he's a murderer. I don't know, but it yeah. can't be that bad because they're throwing him a cake party for when he gets his out. His sister seemed to really want him to get out. She she made him a cake. I know. And the kids could not care less. They're like, whatever, Uncle Jailbird Joey. And we do not find out what happened to Uncle Jailbird Joey in the, in the brand new 1985. Like, was he still... Well, I will rectify that in... in in the new uh, Back to the Future redo. 2018. Um, so the 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 house that the, they're talk they're at the house. They're talking about how mom and dad met Lorraine and George. And Lorraine gets into it. I'll never forget. It was the night of the Enchantment Under the Sea dance, and she says a line that always makes me crack up because she says, "It was the night of that terrible thunderstorm." Remember, George? Now, Brent, you remember. That time it rained for about 30 minutes and there was a lot of wind 30 years ago. You remember that, right? But no, it made, it, made all, it made all the history books. You remember the storm that happened one night for about a half hour 30 years ago. You remember that. To be fair, I do remember uh, <laughs> Hurricane Hugo hitting. We're not talking about anything with a name. There was no hurricane. There was no tornado. But it was that level of weather. It was, he was on that clock tower. By the time he gets down off the clock tower, the storm has passed. All right. We it's don't not know even raining. kind of destruction it rained down think, off the offset. I just think it's crazy that anyone remember a random storm from 30 years ago. <laughs> Storms happen all the time. It's not a hurricane. It's just crazy. It just. Well, it's funny because you're right. They didn't actually, like, it's not like it was raining when they got to the party. It's not like it was raining when they left. No. It kicks up for about 30 minutes. Total movie time, and that's it. Even then, it's still not really, like, It gets rainy. really windy, and you see one bolt of lightning, and then it's pretty much blown over. You know what? That's not fair. It is raining At the afterwards. They do, there's a lot more rain involved in the, uh, the flashbacks in part two. 
Because oh, that continues yeah. like after Marty. That's true. After they send Marty back. When the Western Union guy shows up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's boring rain. when that guy shows up. But again, up. it's only boring for that five minute stage because he gets to, he goes back and he finds this dock cleaning up the experiment from the clock tower and pulling all the cables together and it's not raining anymore. I don't know if that was before or after Western Union. Though. Uh, it was after Game Set Match. Okay, fine. I'm sorry. I said good day. Fine. It sounds like this movie's trash. I said good day, sir. Um, they, you know, Marty gets his call in the middle of the night. He goes to to the Twin Pines Mall to go meet Doc in the middle of the night. It's something like three thirty in the morning or something like that, or one in the morning, something like that. Um, yeah, it's like one a.m. He asks no questions. He He's skates. Like, yeah, I'll see you he there. He skates to the mall. <laughs> I, I mean, I suppose he could live close to the mall. If I wanted to skate to the mall when I was a kid, I had to get on a highway on my skateboard. <laughs> it was not going to work. Um, by the way, just out of curiosity, did you ever try to hold on to the back of the car while riding a skateboard the way Marty does in Back to the Future? No. Is it? It's terrifying. And I don't oh, care yeah. how slow the car is going. Because those cars that he was holding on to, were not, they were going like 25. Like, maybe that. they were They were in town. They were not... Yeah, yeah, yeah. And... I, I would bet you I tried it at about that speed um, because I lived on a um, a dead-end street growing up. Mm -hmm. And so cars that came in, once they turned in the mouth of that dead end, they were doing maybe 25 all the way down to the end of their uh, of our lot. And yes, I did grab onto the to a couple of cars because I thought, well, this is going to be fun. And I tried it and I almost killed myself. <laughs> uh, yeah, don't do it, kids. It's a bad idea. Yeah, 25 miles an hour doesn't feel fast. Well, remember, those little hard wheels aren't designed to go all that no. quickly, and you feel every no, change in the road. Hill Valley must have just the smoothest roads. Yeah. Well, I'll tell you, Arnold Court did not have a smooth road, <laughs> because as soon as I grabbed on it, you know, if we were doing maybe 15, I was like, I gotta let go. <laughs> it's not a good scene. Um, and then we, we all laughed when we were watching this. Uh, Doc is there in, in a, he's got the DeLorean up inside the bed of this truck and on the truck is written Dr. E. Brown Enterprises, 24 hour scientific services. <laughs> and we all looked at each other and said, what the hell is a 24 hour? What is that code for? I don't know. <laughs> but it I, sounds like, well, that's where all the money went. <laughs> I just get this, the impression of like, Doc being like, hey girl. <laughs> I don't care what time it is, day or night. If you need science, you can I'm call there. me up. Yeah, no judgment. It's I'm there to a, collate it's your data. It's just an opening line. I don't think it's it's something he ever had to deliver on. <laughs> but then again, maybe that explains why he's the only one to crack time travel. None of these other scientists are twenty four hour. That's right. Just him. He doesn't sleep. Um, and he gets that DeLorean down off the truck, and they start the camera rolling. And I always love the part how Marty. When uh, the doc, when Doc says it is, you know, one fifteen a.m. whatever the date is, and Marty checks his watch and it's off, and he shakes his digital watch to as if to <laughs> to shake the digital gears into motion or something, <laughs> like that's going to do anything. Um, I love this entire scene. I love the uh, the terrorists who show up. It's a thrilling chase scene when the terrorists show up with their giant bazooka, yeah, uh, and their AK forty sevens. Um, which everybody had in the 80s, apparently. Um, nobody really is a very good shot, but that's okay. I would expect at least... Does the DeLorean get... The DeLorean gets uh, its gas line shot up or something, doesn't it? 
I don't think so. I think it was just out of fuel. Oh, okay. Oh, no, you know what? I'm, I'm thinking ahead in part three, when, when he appears in the middle of the onrush of... of oh, like uh, Cowboys and Indians. Yeah, Cowboys and, and Indians yeah. fighting each other, and like an arrow hits the fuel line or something, and then yeah. it's gushing. Um, but I love the, the whole scene, and it's it's thrilling to see the the effect of the of, of hitting that 88 miles per hour um, and then plowing into the barn in 1955. Old Man Peabody's farm. Well, it's funny. They, um, as a, it's almost like this was made for repeat views sure. because like they, you know the number is 88 miles per hour and he gets like right up, he goes like 86 and he like slows down. He's got to make the like turn. 85 and he slows down. He's like, in it! God, we we all know what's gonna happen. Just fucking do it, Marty. And then, like, and then of course they, you know, they give it to you, and the the terrorists blow themselves up. <laughs> I love that, um, and I I also really appreciate the. I don't know what it's meant to signify exactly, but it's kind of a cool thing that when you go into the future, the DeLorean gets freezing cold, but when it comes back into the past, it's not. I thought it still was. No. When it comes back into the past, it's steamy, but not... I thought it was just that he had knocked off most of the ice. See, my, my interpretation was if you go forward, cold. And if you come backwards, hot. That was my... We would have to... Can we get the boys in the labs on that? <laughs> just just let them know that they have to check it out. <laughs> Alright, boys, check that out. <laughs> um, Stupid boys. I love when... Uh, he, he trashes old man Peabody's pine tree, too. My pine! You well, it's funny suck. because, you know, they actually went to the trouble of establishing that, like... Old man Peabody owned all of this. Well, no, this is a different timeline. Things are different now, like, when it comes back. And yeah. I really like that signal because it's the... You see, like, Lone Pine Mall, and, like, if you catch that, you're like, Oh, man. shit, he's not at home. This is totally different. And then you're excited for when he actually does get home and it's all different and stuff. Mm-hmm. And I have always thought that was a really... Yeah, I mean... I just, this 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 screenplay is just amazing. When it's he, so well-tuned. When George, or when uh, when Marty tells Doc, my old man just laid out Biff. He never stood up to Biff before in his life. I didn't know he had, him in him, had it in him. And Doc has that momentary look of panic, like, never? Yeah. And he's like, yeah, why? Like, uh, no, nothing, it. it's fine, I'm sure it's fine, it'll all smooth itself out. Well, it's funny, because Doc, for someone who built a time machine, should have a pretty good grasp on it. I mean, he does in part two, he says, yeah. he even draws on a blackboard, he's like, here's exactly what happened, and you're like, thanks. Right. Um, Alternate 1985. But I'm not sure he understood that that was actually possible in the first movie. And why would he? Nothing, but clearly, nothing but I'm movie. just glad the movie makers spent the time... To establish this is how time travel works. Because a lot of movies switch between the two types. Uh-huh. One of which is, if you go back in time, you'd always gone back in time. You cannot change anything. Whatever you do causes whatever happened. And then this one's like, no, these are alternate timelines. Like, Which you means... Left, you left your 1985. You disappeared that night. Right. And Doc is dead. <laughs> so, it really means that... In terms of this series, we're talking about three different 1985s. There was original 1985, yeah, where life for the McFlies kind of sucked for George. Middle, and middle of the road. Anyway. I mean, it wasn't great. They it had wasn't. problems. There's um, ideal 1985, which mm-hmm. is happy McFly family, successful McFly family, the one that we want to keep. 
And then there's Nightmare 1985, which is Biff has taken control of the town. Um, but even once they fix Nightmare 1985, they never reset it to the original. It's still the secondary 1985 that they reset. They never get back to the original timeline. Okay, I'm sorry. The boys have gotten back to me about the ice Oh, issue. sure. Thanks, boys. So it is cold no matter what. The effect is based on the amount of moisture that was involved. And apparently they like went into like really the amount of moisture that was involved because they had to make ice. Oh, that's I why there was ice. It was wet because it had been raining. I think. Oh, okay. All right. Thanks, boys. Appreciate that. Or at the very least, it was much more humid because it had been raining. Not necessarily. Okay. Because it had been raining. All right. I don't Fair know. enough. I, that's fine. Hey, who am I to stand up in the way of science? So I'm sorry, I, I jumped on the middle of your timeline. Uh, I'm just saying they never, they never actually restore the timeline. They can't. At best, they restore it to the better version of it that they created. They get rid of Ni- Nightmare 1985, but even then, it only restores the yeah, an alternate movie. ideal. Yeah, yeah. Which begs the question: the the Marty at the end of this movie who goes back in time that when our Marty gets back and sees himself travel back in time at the very end of the movie. He sees himself dive yeah. into the DeLorean takeoff. That Marty was not him. That was a different Marty who grew up in this ideal 1985 where his You're father right. was a more successful author. You're right. And we don't know where that guy went. It's funny. That guy might have gone back and created Another. a totally different movie series. That's right. Maybe. The one that we're going to talk about later. <laughs> because he's certainly not him. No. That's the thing. That's interesting. I really like that. He's not. He's not our Marty. Our Marty's not that guy. He can't be. It's funny. So uh, when Kelly came over to watch this movie, he gave me a comic book that is basically about the fact that Marty doesn't have any of these memories of growing up in this ideal world. So like his girlfriend's all mad at him because she's like, "You remember this, right?" And he's like, "No, right." <laughs> like their lives were completely different. So yeah, because IDW started a series uh, last year for Back to the Future, which I haven't really checked out. But I just grabbed one issue and prep for the podcast so we could talk about it. But but it, yeah, it's interesting. In fact, in that comic, he's sitting there looking through old photos, and he's making a pile for remember it, yeah, kind of remember it, have no memory of this, and he's yeah. throwing all his photos into these three different piles to see just how far he differentiates from the Marty everyone here seems to know. And I think he's fine with it because he has a better truck. <laughs> and that seems to be like that by the end of this movie, that's really what he was after was the truck. Yeah, it was that truck, that sweet, sweet Toyota yeah. truck. And his mom is totally cool with him going to the lake with Jennifer in that truck. Yeah. And that's really all he wanted. I don't know. Okay. His pain, every, everyone he knows is happier. Yeah. And that's fine. And Biff's life is much worse. So that's right. Everybody wins except Biff. That's funny. I mean, maybe that gets to him, and that's what leads to him being kind of a piece of shit. And in, yet, uh, Back to the Future. And yet, no one stopped to get Uncle Joey out of jail and all this <laughs> idolizing the timeline. No Uncle one... Joey was the president in Ideal 1985, <laughs> and they just don't talk God about damn. it. Damn, Uncle Joey's still in jail, and everybody's more successful. Maybe he's just a more successful president. Prisoner. Joseph McFly, <laughs> Warden Joseph McFly. There you go. <laughs> he runs Season his own better. prison. Um, when we're back in the in the fifties, and this every time I see this, when he steps into 
uh, Hill Hilldale. Hill, no, Hill Valley. Hill Valley. He steps into Hill Valley in the fifties, and they sit and they play Mister Sandman. Mister Sandman. Yeah. Uh, and you see this gorgeous town with these cars driving around, and I, I actually stopped while we were watching it most recently and said, "Why were cars so much more beautiful in the fifties than the POSs we have today?" Because they didn't have to worry about fuel efficiency. I guess. I mean, they're like... These, they also didn't go very fast. These gorgeous works of art. They're beautiful and yeah. chromey and huge and curvy. And, excuse me, I'm getting a little <laughs> a little excited. But, uh, I mean, I mean, they were... They weighed about... That's no, funny. I don't think cars ever looked better than the 50s and 60s. They weighed like a tank and, you know... I mean, this, cars in the 70s started to get really boxy and stupid like very the DeLorean. Very stupid in the 70s. <laughs> but like the 50s and 60s, so some of those cars are amazing. I would say that later on, we totally had cars that looked cool. I mean, a DeLorean looks cool. Sure. But, but none that looked car. beautiful like the cars in the 50s, like no. those beautiful old, like Biff's car is gorgeous in this movie. Until it's covered in Doc's shit. car. Is gorgeous in this movie. Doc's car, by the way, our friend Alice, we were watching this movie with. Uh, Alice pointed out, I'm pretty sure that's the that's Daniel's car from uh, Karate Kid. I hope <laughs> the it's yellow the car. car. I hope it is too. I hope they just swap it around the studio lots. Um, yeah, gorgeous. Um, and then you get that scene in the diner with with Biff hassling George McFly. And, that whole thing, like, start to finish, is one of, the, like, the best scenes ever. Like, it's so good. Everything about it is just pitch perfect. It, it is. I, I hadn't realized until we watched this time how uh, big a beef Biff has with the Irish. <laughs> yeah, he calls him an Irish bug. <laughs> yeah, Irish bug? Whoa, man, take it easy. Yeah. Why do you have to bring, like, Grace into this? Why do you have to go there, dude? I'm already doing your homework for you. I know, right? Son of a... Uh, can we... I, I, I don't know if you can answer this or not. We may have to get the boys in the lab on this. Um, but uh, is McFly a name? Is that a thing? Are there actual people in the world with the last name McFly? Because yeah, I never... Like, is there a McFly tartan? Right. I never heard that name outside of this movie in my life. And I have known... Many an Irish family, um, but I've never heard of McFly's except in this cinematic universe. Um, but Irish Bug was uncalled for. And then uh, with Marty getting hit by his grandfather, hit uh, hit by his grandfather's car. And his grandfather, Honey, I hit another one. How many kids did Marty's <laughs> grandfather knock down? I had the same note. And is there a story in that? It's like, has Lorraine been having bruised boys up to her room on and off all summer because her father keeps mowing them down out front? Uh, McFly is not a classical plan. It was made up. I wonder why they thought that would be a cool, like... It's a good name. I guess. McFly. I mean, it worked fine. Um, and I love the scene after he gets hit by his grandfather's car. There's that, there's beautiful, young, really super young looking Leah Thompson. Um, she was playing, I think, 17 Lorraine in the role. Something like that. I would say she was probably early 20s as an actress at the time. She wasn't nearly as like 
old as the people that play teens like today. Today, are. yeah. She, she seemed really young. Yeah. She did a great job. She did a wonderful job. Um, Lorraine Baines McFly, uh, cinema's greatest horn dog, perhaps, because she is dying. She really wanted a piece of that. She is that just, Calvin Klein. She's the horniest person in the world throughout this movie. <laughs> Um, and even at dinner, they're down in front of her mom and dad, and she's like, "He can stay in my room." And she, and she grabs like, reaches his leg. over, grabs his leg. I was like, "Ah!" I'm just glad she only grabbed his leg. God dang! <laughs> um, and that's that's that scene with her. he's having dinner with uh, these people who are his grandparents and his uncles. One Joey, and the other one with the coonskin cap. We never hear his name. You know the guy from uh, Wonder Years, right? The older brother from Wonder Years, yeah. that's right. Um, Who also says butthead, doesn't he? I think he might have. <laughs> but it's interesting, he doesn't seem nearly so floored to see all of them as he is to see her. Maybe they don't keep up. Maybe they don't. Um, he does take a moment to uh, mock a baby, so that's good. <laughs> Poor Joey. Um, but I love the line that he gives when they're like, should we call your mother, Marty? And he goes, you can't. Uh, nobody's home yet. yet. Love that scene. That's a good scene. It's funny because they just say like, okay. And it, I feel like that's a very 1950s thing is just taking his word for it as opposed to like today. Oh, they'd yeah. be like, uh, yeah, I believe you. Wink. Okay, I'm going to call your mom. <laughs> like, oh, yeah. Why would I ever take your word for this? Um, but oh, yeah. you kind of buy it. People, in 1955. People are just wandering They're around. They were just more trusting. Yeah. Nobody locks their doors. It's that kind of world. Um, when he finally makes his way to uh, Doc's house, which is a mansion in 1955, because it's the, the Brown family mansion. This is before Doc blew his family fortune on chasing down the flux capacitor dream. Um, he finds Doc, Doc's house. <coughs> Excuse me. And he gets inside. There's lamps everywhere. There's like <laughs> there's like a hundred lamps in one room, and I don't understand what that is. It's funny because I don't know. I always liked that because I thought like in 1955 he's really into lamps, and in uh, 1985 he's really into clocks. Maybe he was working on a light based invention at the time. Well, he is wearing a lamp on his head, but that's a mind reading device. Okay. Um, it's actually funny. There's like this phenomenon of, um, people that do set dressing, like just putting an awful lot of like lamps in places <laughs> like, um, just you can search space. for it on YouTube, but there are movies where they'll go through, like, there's a guy that had like a video that showed all these scenes in movies where they're like, why are there this many lamps in this room? <laughs> and it's like, it's all across all of film. It's just like one of those things that like. Somebody says, like, there's not enough going on in this room. and like, fine, here's three more lamps. And I'm like, looks great, thanks. <laughs> well, not enough going on is definitely not a problem at Doc's house. Because <laughs> no. every room of Doc's house is floor-to-ceiling knickknacks of various <laughs> things. And about seven or eight lamps. Um, He's that light. You know, he, he gets Doc on board with the whole uh, future boy. All right, we're going to send you back to the future. We, we know when the lightning storm's coming. Wonderful. They go back to school the next day. They see Strickland for the first time. Jesus, didn't that guy ever have hair? That's, yeah. the, that's a great line. Um, I gotta think that Biff's henchman 
the one who wears the 3D glasses all the time. Yeah. <coughs> that guy had to have been suffering from some serious migraines throughout the shoot because <laughs> he never takes them off. He's wearing them all day at school. In the hallways at school, he's still wearing them. He's wearing them when he's reading his textbooks in class, apparently. My suspicion is he's blind in one eye. Oh. And so he just sees everything in red, or he sees everything in blue, and so it doesn't bite him. Yeah, maybe. He's good. Um, you know, I, I love the, the scene with melting George's brain, with... It's funny the Van because Halen music on rewatch. I feel like that's kind of dumb. I don't know the way that it happens is funny. Like I like the scene. I like the way it's shot. I sure. like the way all that happens. But like if you think about it, like wouldn't George be a completely different person if he genuinely believed that an alien came and like played music for him? And he's never going to forget the name Darth Vader. And then in like. 25 years a movie comes out with Darth Vader in it and he's gonna be like dude that's super weird well not only that but his latest novel that we see it has Darth Vader in it well has his Darth Vader in it I know but it's like from the planet planet Vulcan it is a very weird situation because he's gonna be like man Vulcan and Darth Vader both came up in other things maybe they were visited by aliens too I almost expect him to I guess my point is, I almost expected. I think this was a super fucking dangerous move on Marty's part because right. I would expect his dad to now be some alien crackpot guy, right? In ideal nineteen eighty five, as opposed to someone who really has it together, because he's like, no, you don't get it. So, like an alien. These things are happening. Yeah. Here's here's what I will answer to that. Um, to the using the term using the name Darth Vader and Vulcan and all that. I don't know about you, but many times throughout my life, I've had an idea for something. And I've kicked it around and thought about it and forgot about it. And then somebody does that idea, like a TV show or something. I go, you do the idea, man, like, I knew about I thought of that years ago. And but that's like a premise, an idea. It's not a name. It's not okay. two names being in the two biggest sci-fi properties. Fair exists. enough. Fair enough. <laughs> Maybe this is just an extreme version of that. But that, that's not even the part that bugs me. Is, is that I think that was super dangerous. That was playing really fast and loose with his dad's future. When that's kind of what got him in this place. Yeah. In the situation in the first place. Like, he needed to convince him. It's funny, he didn't even convince him that well. I don't know. I feel like He that threatened was... him, basically. I, I think yeah. I think what, what would have been the smarter play, the one that would have led to a more lasting relationship between George and Lorraine, yeah. is if you make sure George understands how wonderful Lorraine is and how he loves her yeah. and has to ask her out. Threatening her into ask, threatening him into asking her out. How is that a basis for a thirty-year marriage? I'm terrified that I, if I don't ask you to marry me and have children with me, that this alien's going to come and melt my brain. Oh no! It's funny. Like you can't knock the script for this because it does seem like an idea that Marty would have. Marty's sure. not very he's smart. Not, he's not the best. Student. He does not know what a good relationship is. No. So like none of this would have occurred to him. Yeah. So like. He's just lucky it worked out, but I always thought that was funny. It's like, dude, you can't show someone aliens and expect them not to be affected. Well, that's maybe something we do in in the reboot of Back to the Future is we have we have George actually get feelings for Lorraine instead of just be threatened. <laughs> okay, that actually feeds into my idea. We'll, oh, we'll get excellent, in there, but excellent. like, um, 
you know, I, I don't want to get in into everything, but I, I do have to say that scene in the um, in the car with Lorraine when they pull up at the dance, uh, Marty and Lorraine, and she's drinking and smoking and <laughs> ready to go. God, how uncomfortable and what a nightmare. And I like how tone deaf Marty was. Like, he hadn't noticed any of the signs. Like, he thought he was going to be able to, like, he still thought she was approved. It never occurred to him that she wasn't. Even though, at dinner... Even though, at all times, she had been sending every signal she could at him, and he was just oblivious. So when he finally, like, when she, like, kind of goes in on him, he's like, oh, I didn't think this through at all. (laughs) Yeah. And it's super uncomfortable. I... I, uh, I'm glad that it ended with, when I kiss you, it's like I'm kissing my, my brother. brother. And then every, it's all diffused and it's fine because it's super uncomfortable. The tension kind of mounts up. And I remember... This is um, way before the Lannisters, man. Right. And last year, I'm watching this with my then eight-year-old. Yeah. <laughs> and we're watching this movie. And there's, you know, there's really nothing in the movie that an eight or nine-year-old is, is not going to be able to to slide with but yeah but this part of the, the movies i'm just like i'm getting anxious next to him watching this <laughs> and then once it, it diffused with it's like kissing my brother then fine we were able to move along and and the touch it was good he watched with you and not with his mom well don't learn it in the street like i did <laughs> don't learn it from mom oh god um yeah that's gross um and then at the dance at the enchantment under the sea dance as bad a band as Marty and the Pinheads were, mm-hmm. the uh, Marvin Berry and the Starlighters, yeah, they have to be the best unsung band in rock and roll history because when he gets up there and plays Johnny Be Good with them, yeah, they just they it. keep up perfectly without ever having any idea where to, any of this to is be coming fair, from. It is a it was a standard blues riff, uh, standard blues riff, and he trying to keep up and watch me for the changes. I mean, that's, I don't know, if you've played a lot of blues music, it's not actually that hard to keep up with. I mean, there should have been some faults when he's, like, switching from chords and stuff, and they're just nailing it, but, like, that's not, they are very good musicians, but that's not impossible. These are professionals, and yeah. um, despite what some of the other kids may say, I don't believe that any of them are reefer addicts. <laughs> As they are described. I don't want any trouble with no reefer addict. with that reefer addict. <laughs> it's funny. That's one of those lines that like totally went over my head as a kid. I didn't even know a reefer was. <laughs> You're like, what? And then like as an adult, I'm like, I can't believe they said that. Jesus Christ. He's thoroughly addicted on the reefer. Um, geez. But but they do an amazing job. And, and I remember when he gets up there and he says, Blue Riffany, watch me for the changes and uh, yeah. try to keep up. We were like, what an asshole. Yeah. He's yeah. just, you want to hit him so it's funny, bad. It's so Marty, though. Like, it's just. It's all about it. him. He yeah. is the front man, and he is going to eat up that stage. And he did. Yeah, he sure did. But when he does it here, he's a thousand times better than he was at the beginning of the movie. Yes, he also has a very different voice. Oh, yes. And that voice, I remember while we were watching it, I thought, I have to find out who actually sang yeah. this part. So I looked up the the Back to the Future soundtrack. Who who would you guess is singing this song in the Back to the Future soundtrack? Huey Lewis? Uh, no. It's a singer who goes by the name of Marty McFly. <laughs> they actually say... Marty McFly and the Starlighters? Yeah, performed by Marty McFly. I remember I saw that in the credits and I was like, well, that doesn't answer the That's question. That's awful. 
Who sang? Somebody sang somebody this. Somebody sang it. And it sure as hell wasn't Michael J. Fox. I, that's, that's why I think it's Huey Lewis or somebody. <laughs> who's just like, I'm not worried about it. <laughs> yeah. You, you know what? I don't need the credit on this one. Yeah. Fine. <laughs> um, our friend... It's has, funny. Okay, so I think this is the time to bring up one of the long-standing issues a lot of people have with this uh, movie is that people say it rewrites history as white people inventing rock as opposed to black people inventing rock. And my answer to that is you weren't paying attention. He invented rock in ideal 1985, but black people still invented it overall. Like he got it from the real Chuck Berry. Right. But now in this new timeline, no one will know that. Correct. You know that new sound you've been looking to steal? Right, but like... Listen to this. The, the way people get mad at it is saying that... I think they misunderstood the movie. They can't think it's a movie where the timeline is you go back in time and cause what actually happened. They aren't getting the alternate timeline right. stuff. The concept is not that this white dweeb high school student invented rock and roll for all right. time. It's that... He sham invented it now, right. and no one in this new timeline will ever know that the sham invention was not, in fact, the real invention. Right. Which still sucks. I mean, I guess. I mean, I guess uh, I guess Ideal 1985 is not probably as great for well, uh, just, black people. I don't just know. Just think about what Marvin here is saying about his cousin Chuck Berry. Hey, Chuck, I don't think you're good enough to come up with this on your own, but I bet you could steal this sound. Listen to this. <laughs> Come on. I don't know. I, I think a lot of the outrage is about misunderstanding how the timelines work. Anyway. I think, no, I think you're probably okay. right, but uh, it's a hell of a performance, though, until he gets down on the ground and starts playing the guitar with his teeth. <laughs> and he's a little over the top. It's funny. I, I, I kind of wish they'd had uh, Michael J. Fox sing it. He must be terrible. Because I think even him doing an okay job of singing and... You know, playing the music well, I think would have played better than like someone totally different singing it. Like that is so clearly not him. Even as a kid, I was like, "That's not him." <laughs> yeah, the voice is <clears throat> not even a close match. No. It's it's way off. They might as well have had Chuck Berry play Johnny Be Good <laughs> and just have him <laughs> mouth over. Mouth it? Yeah. yeah, why not? We're already taking all the glory anyway. Um, yeah, I don't know. There's there's a great moment um, when you know they they do this fantastic scene where where Marty has to get get into the car and, and get to the other end of the street you know uh, by the time that the clock tower gets struck by lightning and right, so right, he, right. he runs over there he does that sweet Dukes of Hazard slide across the hood yeah which is is perfect um, but when he travels back to 1985 it all works. Doc does his harrowing clock tower escapades <laughs> during the middle of the storm, which is all golden. But And he gets back to 1985, and he turns and sees the town homeless guy, Red, sleeping on the bench. Still there. Red, you look beautiful. And I'm it's thinking, ideal 1985 except for Red. Everybody knows, yeah, nothing's, nothing's improved for Red. Red is still homeless, and everybody is perfectly okay with that. He's just like... Everybody has their town homeless guy, right? <laughs> really? Damn, Hill Valley. If you know his name, I feel like yeah. someone should have given him like a, a chance. You know, like a, yeah. 
let let red work. I mean, the clearly he song. was a drunk too, but like, I don't know. Surely we could have done something for him. But like, if the high school kids know your name, then like something's up. <laughs> and then of course it's it's from there on it's run to the Lone Pine Mall, and that's when we know things are really different here because yeah. it's the Lone Pine Mall and and super successful McFlies. I, I don't understand why in the new and improved 1985, okay, George was a more confident version of himself because of standing up to Biff early on in his life. Yeah. Great. That led to more success in his career as a writer, as a, he becomes, like I think he's a professor. Fine. Wonderful. He's an why author, are, at least. Yeah. yeah. Why are they still living in the same house? I thought that's Because funny. that house was not a great house, and they can afford a much better place now. But it's not only the same house, it's still... Like, he, he doesn't even notice the redecorated... Like, his room is still the same. The living room's changed, but his room is still totally the same. It's, he doesn't have, like, better stuff in his living room. That's I one mean, thing I liked I mean, about, bedroom. about part two is he goes... He sneaks into his house and it's someone else's house. Yeah. Because, like, of course it is. If anything changed... Like, it's... The methods of which you choose a house to buy are almost entirely determined by your income. Right. And all of a sudden, theirs is totally different. Why are they still there? Not only that, but the brother and sister are still living at home. Yeah, especially the brother who's like a lawyer. The brother's he? got a suit, and he's like, you know, I always wear a suit to the office, Marty. He was working at Burger King in the original timeline. Yeah, I guess we don't know what his job. I always sort of assumed he was a lawyer, but at the very least he has a job where he wears a suit. Just so he's work. not in college. you got to assume he's making bank more than minimum wage man, still living like, at home enough to have an apartment or something not only that he's not only is he still living at home he's still upset when he thinks that the car's been wrecked because marty says mom you know i can't take the car it's it's been totaled and then the new brother the new version of the brother in the suit's like totaled when did this happen nobody tells me anything and then they open the door and they say no no the car's fine it's right out there Ben's putting a second coat yeah, on the rapist is doing that yeah <laughs> you know our a retainer is still out there working on it. But he was still upset that the car had been told. Like, do you need their car? Yeah, did he have his own? He's wearing this. I don't understand. But anyway, okay, fine. Um, I don't know. I, I feel like those were needed compromises for the transition. I guess. And, of course, the biggest clue of all that everything is a much brighter uh, today and tomorrow, uh, Marty opens the garage and finds the, the sweet ass truck, <laughs> and it's just like all's right with the world. I got the truck. I got the Toyota. <laughs> oh, we're gonna take this bad boy for a spin. Um, and there's that great line at the end. You know, they Doc comes back, they climb into the DeLorean. Jennifer gets in for some reason, and they're like, "Where you're going? Where we're we going? We don't need roads." Yeah. Or Jennifer, apparently, because they don't ask for that actress to come back in the next film. She turns into Elizabeth Shue. She turns into Elizabeth Shue. Now, the reason she turns into Elizabeth Shue, I did uh, ask the boys at the lab to check into it. Um, the actress who plays Jennifer in the first one, Claudia Wells, uh, she's not. she had stopped acting by the time they started work on the second movie. I just, I can't believe that she would have said no. Well, the okay, get ready to be brought down a little, because it's a bummer of a reason. Oh. I'm sorry to do this to you folks. Uh, the reason she's not acting anymore, um, her mother had uh, been battling cancer and she quit acting to take care of her mother through all that and then she oh, just God. never went back to it. Ugh. 
And when they came to her, to they're like, hey, we're going to do part two and three at the same time. Because they shot two and three at the same time. Right. And she's like, no, I just, I'm not in that headspace to be able to do any of this. And so that's when they went to Elizabeth Shue. Who does a great job, by the way. Who does a great job. And I got to say, they, yeah, it's a better job. She does a better job. She's a better actress. I mean, Jennifer did not have a lot to do in the first Back to the Future, granted. Um, but aside from telling Marty what a fantastic musician is, she musician she thinks he is. She was her. They, she also does look a lot like Elizabeth Shue. Yeah, but that wig they put on Elizabeth Shue is just awful. <laughs> but um, the way she delivers her lines is just like very monotone. Like she can't deliver the line. Like it's probably just how she talks. And back to your theory of that's just just deserving. <laughs> See, that's, that's unfortunate because you and I both know actors who are very talented actors and can play a wide variety yep. of roles. And some people just play like, the same. Think, think about someone like Catherine Zeta-Jones. Has she ever not been Catherine Zeta-Jones in a movie? Well, to be honest, I haven't watched a lot of Catherine Zeta-Jones stuff. Well, don't. She's not very good okay. anyway, but like, I, 100% she is just her. Okay. Fair enough. But then you get people with range. I mean, the really good actors who get wide of variety. Of course, there of are a, there is a class of actor sure. that is far above, and like they actually do the acting and they're great at what they do. But like, I think a lot of them are just them. Hmm. I'm sure. I'm sure it happens. It's a bummer. Um, you were talking earlier about how you admired the makeup they did on Crispin Glover and Leah Thompson in the beginning of the movie. Well, I admired the. The way they they compensated for the fact that old person makeup always looks awful. <laughs> and it does. But the reason I bring this up is because the fact that they had to do that makeup came back to bite them later. Because in order to do that makeup, they had to do a face mold of Crispin Glover. Okay? Okay. So, they're going to do part two and three. Of Back to the Future. Crispin Glover hears that he's being paid significantly less for that than Leah Thompson is going to be paid for part two and three. Well, she's in it more. And, well, she, she ends up being in it more. Because oh, what happens that was is, unrelated? I because what that. happens is he, he demands shot. a bigger salary and so he insists on final script approval. Because <laughs> one of the things... Crispin Glover's a little a bit of an odd He duck. always has been. Yeah. yeah. Um... But one of the things that he had stated previously was that he was unsatisfied with the ending of the original Back to the Future because he felt that he didn't think it sent a good message that uh, everything was better and the family was happier just because of their increased financial status. He thought they should have measured the family's happiness and and success in a more character-driven way where they're just able to talk to each other better and happier because of that, not because... They just got back from playing tennis at the country club, and Marty has a fresh, shiny truck in the garage. I mean, to be fair, a lot of that is because they had increased financial status because they were happier and more confident and followed their dreams kind of stuff. And to be more fair, you have to communicate a lot in a five-minute scene. (laughs) We're trying to just show you through visual cues that things worked out better for them. And part of that is they have nicer stuff. Sorry. But anyway, he didn't like that. So he insisted on script approval. He insisted on a much higher pay scale. And what they responded with was the filmmakers rewrote the script and scaled down his role significantly. They killed George off in the alternate 85 uh, so that he was dead and in the grave. And then they had another actor 
where the mold that they had made of Glover's face for the makeup in the original one, and they shot him from a distance and with him hanging upside down in the future and out of focus of the, in the background of the camera and just had another actor say his lines who sounded like him oh my God. to trick the audience into the impression that Crispin Glover was in Back to the Future 2 and 3 when he is not. So Glover sues them because they used his that's my likeness and yeah. I did not do this movie. So he sues them. Uh, Glover sued Universal and eventually ended up settling for reportedly uh, $760,000. Um, that case... That's not a sneeze at. No, but that case has often been referred back to when determining what studios can and cannot do with an actor's image without their express written permission. Um, mm-hmm. See, like, Peter Cushing's image being used in Rogue One, Star Wars Rogue One, where Governor right. Tarkin is, you know, CGI'd into the movie, even though Peter Cushing's been dead for years. They had to get the Approval consent of the, of the right. state for that. Um, things like that. So, it was interesting. And it didn't get settled until, I don't know exactly when, but it wasn't, it wasn't like settled years and years ago. This went on for some time. This, yeah. this was only settled like seven years ago. <laughs> Something like that. Um, crazy stuff. And then there's, there's more Back to the Future besides just Back to the Future 1, 2, and 3. It went on to do other stuff like you were talking about the comic book that just started last year. Mm-hmm. So it's still very much in, in everyone's frame of reference and top of mind. Um, but also there was a cartoon series uh, that I remember quite clearly. That's funny. I never watched it. There was a cartoon series that ran from, jeez, uh, what was it? It was, I think it was 91. Yeah, 91 to 93. It was about the further adventures of the Brown family, Doc and Clara, that his wife from 1885. Oh, okay. And they had those two kids on the train at the end of Jules yeah. and Vern. Yeah. His two kids. And it was them living in 1985. And Marty was sort of like the family friend who like would help out with stuff. Um, and they actually had voices from the cast in the movie doing voices in the cartoon. So That's cool. Mary Steenburgen still voiced Clara whenever Clara was in an episode. Um, Thomas F. Wilson still voiced Biff whenever Biff or a Biff equal was in the episode so <laughs> Biff mad dog tannin or you know yeah, yeah. rad dog tannin or you know whatever <laughs> whatever biff griff jiff all yeah. of them um james tolkien was still principal skinner uh skinner <laughs> principal strickland yeah uh and so they had those people still <laughs> they did not have christopher lloyd as doc but what they did have well two cool things one doc in the cartoon was voiced by dan castellaneta homer simpson Oh, well, um, he he does everything. He does everything. He was the voice of Genie in the uh, Aladdin cartoon series that came out after the movie Aladdin. Yeah, uh, he was. Yeah, he did Doc. But the cool thing was Christopher Lloyd did take part in the series in the live action segments that they would air between the actual cartoons. So Doc would have like little science experiments for kids to do at home. So it would be like, hi, everybody. And you'd see Christopher Lloyd dressed as Doc. And he would be like, hi, boys and girls, we're going to do a science experiment. And he would show them just simple things that they could do at home to, you know, test electricity or or whatever. Safe safe stuff. Exactly. It was really cool. He was assisted by his silent, never-speaking assistant in the lab coat, who went by the name of William Nye. And two years later, (laughs) Bill Nye the science guy had his own show. That was actually that Bill was Nye. actually him. 
Wow. He was Doc's assistant in the live-action segments of the Back to the Future cartoon. Wow. Which led to his whole, you know, his whole career. Um, Yeah, it was really cool. And uh, so, I mean, obviously, I think there's plenty of merit to this franchise. I totally think they could do it again. I, I think it could be updated and reworked and be viable today. Are you ready to hear? Let's get it. How it should happen. Tell me. Tell me. So, um, I think it should happen as, I guess it would be, I'm trying to think of the timeline because I'm trying to think whose kids it would be if it happens now. Because I think we're in between generations because if Marty was born in, in... or not born, but he, you know, he was a teen in 1985. Mm-hmm. I don't think his kids are like 17 in 85. So how old were his, would his kids be now? I think they'd be too old. So if you're 17 and 85, let me just uh, let me uh, ask the boys in the lab here. Uh, so you were born in 68. If you're 17 and 85. Okay, so let's just say his kids are born uh, in like... 95. Okay. I I guess the age is okay. I still think they're a little old. But whatever. You make this work somehow where there's still kids of the McFly generation. So they're 23 if they're born in 95. I think that's too old. Okay. I think they should be... I think they should be like... One should be like 16 and the other should be like 12. Okay. Um, so two kids who are what? Marty's kids? They're Marty's kids. Okay. Maybe one is Marty's kid and one is like Doc's kid or something. One of the Jules? I guess it's already been established Jules or that those Vern? kids are Jules or, and Vern, but like two kids that grew up each other and grew up and know each other. Okay. Um, and the idea is that like they are going to get in the uh, the DeLorean that's been like just stored like Marty and doc realized what they were doing with the timelines and that they were creating like entirely new universes and were like, we can never use this again. And then like the kids get into it and like manage to go back in time. And, um, does doc still have the train? So like, that's the thing. I I wouldn't go back. They're going to go back to 1955 again. Okay. And then they overlap with both part one <laughs> and part two and end up there. So, and so they like they like work they they hang out with Marty Marty one I guess and like they do stuff like instead of him like scaring his dad as Darth Vader like that's no basis for a relationship what are you doing this is what we're <laughs> like they just bring like you know kids are older now like they have more knowledge than sure. kids did when we were kids you know well, they have the internet yes and like they would just know things and like um i just think there's a lot to do there and like i don't know how you do this without it being a cg nightmare <laughs> but like that's that's what i want to see i want to see it overlap all of it again nice with the with the kids, because that was the joy of the back half of part two was seeing them overlap with their previous. Yeah, and just so many smart little moments, and like they did change some stuff yes. and some other stuff, and like so you had these kids come in and like totally screw the stuff up, and they're like, "Oh my god, grandma is so hot!" Like you know, 
There are no reefer addicts. <laughs> They're like, what? Isn't that, that's legal, right? <laughs> yeah. I like that. I like it. I think it could work. Yeah. I, I think that I think that would have a lot more... I mean, can you do that and not be like... I don't know. What I keep thinking of is uh, the newer Tron, mm-hmm. which I actually really enjoyed, but then you go back and you see... The CG young version of uh, Jeff Bridges, and you're like, oh my god, kill it with fire! Like I don't want a whole movie of that. Yeah, yeah. So maybe we're a decade away from that, and it's like the grandkids or something. Um, once maybe, CG gets to the point where you can do that convincingly, maybe we use the CGI to just recast uh, several other roles with Crispin Glover's reanimated face, <laughs> so that he's just, he's just his all, image is all over. It's Crispin Glover's all the way down. Oh. Um, my thinking was, um, you know, this is a movie I watched when I was a kid and loved it. I think you would really get the new audience on board, the kids today who haven't seen Back to the Future, as well as the nostalgia of the people my age who loved it when they were a kid. If you redo Back to the Future completely, uh... No, no, there was no previous Back to the Future in this timeline. There was no previous. Okay. And Marty is not a teenager in 1985. Marty's a teenager today. And he's going back to 1985 to meet his parents. So you just do kind of... The... There's no 1955. Instead of going back to 1955 to meet your parents from 85, you're going back from 2018 to 1988 to meet your parents. We're at about the right time for that. Right. And the 80s is comedy gold mine. Yeah. There's so much to mine in the 80s. <laughs> Just the fashions and the cars. and the, I mean, the DeLorean will fit right in. Because it was the 80s. It's too bad you can't use, like, actual uh, Michael J. Fox for this and stuff like yeah, that. Yeah, I was like, thinking about that, too. It's, it'd be great to have a lot of those actors do some right, sort of little nod. reprisal. Yeah. yeah. But that's... I think you, you go back and, and, and have him meet his parents in, in the 80s and, and go to school with them there. Um, I was wondering, you know, the DeLorean was a really kind of a cool, unusual car from the 80s. Mm-hmm. And so it it's a really cool thing that they grabbed it and pulled it back to 19, 1955 and it looked very futuristic right. for the people of 1955. Is there a car... Of today that you could use to go back in time in that would have that same effect. Like suppose you, suppose you're not using a DeLorean because the DeLorean was the car of that time that they of. I you think know. you got to use a um, a Tesla X. It I even was has the, of it a even Tesla has the wing doors. That's exactly what I was thinking about. But does it look cool enough? I mean, is it a? It doesn't. It it's looks a, more like it's a, a good looking car, but it's not like. It doesn't have you know, the I'm same. I'm a twelve punch. year old. Cool. Yeah, it doesn't have that same action appeal as the DeLorean does. Like you can't see him jamming that thing up to eighty eight miles an hour and and having the lights flash around the Tesla. It's Which funny it, if you did like a Model S or something, it'd be like, "Well, you got to get the one hundred and eighty eight miles per hour." It's like no problem. <laughs> <laughs> uh, um, I I wonder if. The 1980s is such a huge time for music. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of great music came from the 80s. With Marty being a musician, um, maybe make 
music more of a character in the film. Uh, just have him, exp- you know, maybe have him be a fan of the music of the eighties or something like. I don't, I don't know, but just having him be around all the all that great music and and playing it, being exposed to it. Um, I don't know. It just seems like you could. That does seem it. like uh, you know they. Marty was absolutely a musician and wanted to be a musician. And in every future that we know of, he's not. I guess we never see the ideal 2015 or whatever they go back to. Right. Um, well, he got into that car accident because somebody called him a chicken. And yeah, then he ruined, the it. he ruined his playing hand. I guess that was in part two. I hated that whole chicken thing. It yeah. was such a, like a dumb character motivation. It was. Like, um, that's funny. Yeah, the other thing we'll I'm, take that out. Yeah, <laughs> the other thing I was wondering is maybe there's some benefit to instead of a Marty, uh, in, instead of a Martha that goes by Marty. I don't want to say Martha, but let's just name anything else that starts with an M. But you still call her Marty. Okay. Well, what's what's a female name that you could you could nickname to Marty? Martha. Really? I mean, I'm not saying a lot of people would do it, but you could. Okay. Yeah, I like that. I think people would be like, okay, fine. But maybe it's in this time in this in this version, it's her. Um, just because I think there's a lot more um, fashion comedy gold to be mined for the women of the '80s. Yeah, for sure. Because uh, there was some crazy stuff being worn back then. Also. Um, it might be interesting because maybe she's uh, trying to get her mother to kind of stand up for herself and, and come into her own. Um, that was a lot of what was happening in the 80s uh, as well. Mm-hmm. Um, we got a lot of, of strong women performers and pop icons coming out of the 80s. Of course, you know, Madonna and... Yeah, there was a bunch. So, I think that could work. Um, I'll tell you something that I really want to see happen, though, is go to the end of the movie. Marty and Doc have have gotten back home to 2018. Doc's alive and everything's well, and he's saying goodbye to Marty. Uh, Where are you going? Uh, About ahead. I'm going to go ahead about 30 years. Seems a nice round number. Yeah. Look me up when you get there. We'll do. But before Doc can leave. These goons pull up in vans and surround Doc and Marty. And they got guns. And they're like, Dr. Brown, you weren't going to leave without letting me know the results of what I paid you for. What you've been promising me all these years. And you find out that Doc, rather than getting money, or rather than getting plutonium from terrorists, as he did in the original Back to the Future, Doc's experiments were financed through shady criminal underworld dealings with a unknown criminal boss who turns out to be Uncle Joey. (laughs) Uncle Joey, who wants to use time travel to change his lot in life and become a powerful, powerful man, even more so than he is now. Because if by the end of the movie, everyone's in a better position in his family. Well, he's become a more powerful criminal. I like it. And he was bankrolling Doc. <laughs> Uncle Joey. Oh man, Back to the Future reboot part two sounds nuts. It's gonna be awesome. But at least then Uncle Joey starts a purpose. It, it really 
It is all about Uncle Joey, isn't it? <laughs> I just feel bad for that little baby who got... I know, that was not cool. It wasn't cool. We gotta give him some kind of comeuppance. He's gotta get what's coming. Um, anyway, that's the idea. Uh, well, thank you very much for listening to another edition of Illuminates. Um, write into us with your, uh, your compliments, your comments, your complaints, your suggestions... Uh, at illuminatespodcast at gmail.com. You can hear this and other episodes at our website, illuminates.rocks. Or you can subscribe to us at iTunes or wherever better or worse podcasts are sold or not sold. Pocket Casts, whatever you're into. All that stuff. Um, And until then, uh, we've we've gone ahead and done our part. Hollywood, you can go do yours. Um, We should all make like a tree get out of here